All right, so we're back here, the Shore and Hamilton podcast, and I'm Charlie Corrigan. I'm an associate here talking to partner Derek Harper. Thanks, Charlie. Good to see you again. How's it going, man? Yeah. I'm doing well, man. Let's busy. do it. Yeah. It's been busy. Yeah, so um, so I'm just going to ask you a few things. So so you've been you've been um, doing personal injury practice for over 10 years, right? Uh, I started off doing family law. Oh, right, right, So right, I did right. that for a few years. I've been doing personal injuries, you know, alone, you know, as a exclusive yeah. practice probably for six now. Six, okay. Six okay. or seven years now. Yeah. Um, I've been doing them since, you know, the beginning on the side, but right. been, you know, my main practice for about six, seven years now. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, so in that case, you have a lot of experience with dealing with Insurance companies, yes. yes or yes? Oh, yes. You know, I mean, you, you know how it is. Most of our cases are settled with insurance companies. So, you know, day-to-day, that's what we're dealing with. Yeah, yeah. So, with no further ado, um, I'd love to ask you some questions about about dealing with insurance companies because, okay. you know, you, you do it on a daily basis and you've yep. done so for, for over six years now. So, um, so, first things first, what are some of the – I don't want to say tactics in with a negative connotation, but what are some of the ways that you've noticed insurance companies dealing with claims as far as certain pitfalls to be on the lookout for um, from a claim standpoint as far as medical treatment is concerned? Okay. Well, I mean, first I could say, you know, God, we could probably write a book about yeah. the tools and tactics. Like tactics, like you said, kind of sounds, you know, confrontational, but – Insurance is a business. Yeah. You know, they're trying to save money. Um, they're not in the business of paying claims. They want to cash your premium checks and minimize what they pay out. Um, so I'm sure we could talk about it for days. Uh, but there's probably about, I don't know, five or six things I've kind of keyed in on that are some tactics that they use to either discount your claim, uh, discount your damages, stuff like that. So, um, you know, before, before we get into medical, I want to kind of talk about what kind of happens first. Yeah. You know, one of the first ones I would say that they do um, is kind of this, like, rush to get everything done. Um, we have some clients that, you know, they'll get calls within 24 hours of an accident from the at-fault driver's insurance company. Um, and usually in that in that phone call, they're trying to resolve the case right there, you know. Um, <clears throat> they'll usually try to offer some money to the claimant and, you know, try to get a release, you know, within the first phone call, you know, just so that they don't have to deal with it. Um, yeah. But, and not to cut you off, but, yeah. but so, you know, you would be hearing about this secondhand when they, after they make initial contact with the, with the claimant or, you know, potential claimant before a claim has even been officially started. But um, what have you been told by clients that, as far as how that conversation goes, do they on the front end do they say, you know, we're talking about resolving this matter right now? Um, do they mention that it would release any? Just, just how does that conversation go yeah. about? Because I've I've never been gotcha. party to I one mean, myself. Most of from what my clients say is, you know, those first contacts they're wanting to get a statement. Okay, right. and I'll talk about a little bit more about that later because yeah. you know the more information you give them, the more it can be twisted. <clears throat> but uh, they're trying to get some information about what happened. You know, they want to get a statement from their driver and the injured party just to see, you know, if those statements kind of mesh as to what happened. So they want to get a statement, okay? 
then usually they're offering some sort of money to resolve that case. Um, and that may be part of a release and, and then a cash payment that's issued right then, you know, and that's kind of the problem with these is that a thousand, two thousand dollars, something like that is very tempting to a lot of people, especially when it's just happened and they're like, yeah, send right, me, yeah. you know, send me a couple thousand dollars. Yeah. Um, you know, and I also think the insurance company, what they want to do is they want to get the case settled for as cheaply as possible, but they're also wanting to, you know, get it handled before an injured person has the opportunity to speak to a lawyer. Um, I think these insurance companies know that once a lawyer gets involved, you know, they're not going to be able to play these games and they're not going to be able to settle this case for, you know, pennies on the dollar of what it's worth. Um, you know, I think that's kind of the main problem here is that, you know, you should be cautious that those first contacts are going to be trying to get you to settle the case because if you think about it, if you just pause and think about it, why are they trying to do it? You know, and when you think about why they're trying to do it, they're trying to save money and they're trying to preclude you from having an attorney kind of advise you, then you should take a step back. Right. And and so, and so going along with that, so what would happen if you're an injured, an injured potential claimant, just someone who got hurt and the liability carrier who insures the at fault party, the purported at fault party, um, what happens when they offer, say, a thousand, two thousand dollars to, you know, for the the pain or the medical treatment that's anticipated, and then the symptoms reappear, or reappear um, from, or I guess appear for the first time weeks later, and the treatment that's necessary and the diagnoses that are given are much more serious than what really the claimant initially thought or what the insurance liability carrier would have even predicted. Well, what happens if you've accepted that amount and a few months later the bills start racking up? So you've actually kind of segued into my next kind of tactic I was going to talk about, which is a conditional release. So usually that telephone call and any kind of check is going to be accompanied by some sort of release. Okay. So what you're talking about is what they call a conditional release. So that release will say something along the lines of, you know, we agree to pay either X number of dollars of medical treatment, or sometimes it's included X number of dollars for X number of days. Sometimes it's, you know, no cap, but a cap on days. Okay. So what that person's doing is when they cash that check and they sign that release, they're waiving their rights to sue that driver. Um, and they're trusting that that insurance company is going to promise. And I do it in air quotes because it's kind of vague as to what their actual responsibilities are as to what they'll have to pay. Um, in exchange for resolving the case. So when someone does that early, just like you said, they may have that. Well, first of all, the problem is, is they do not know their damages. You know, most people do not walk out of an emergency room with a bill, you know, especially not an itemized bill where you see exactly everything that was charged. Secondly, just like you said, you might not know the extent of your injuries. There's plenty of injuries that don't arise for three days, five days, you know, maybe even a month or so later. Um, Or, you know, the degree of that injury is definitely not known at that time. You know, so that is exactly the problem. So to answer your question is, you know, Short of having an attorney, their their limit their options are limited. I mean, if they release release that driver, and cash that check, then they're going to have a very uphill battle to try to then file a lawsuit against them. If they do find out, you know, a couple months later that they need surgery or something like that, 
Now you can walk them back. They can be voided. You know, we can, we have had success doing yeah. that, but it's definitely a, a, a limited window. You had one recently. Is that right? <clears throat> yeah. I had one ago? where they're trying to use a recorded telephone call right. um, as a release, but then they, then after that they sent an actual written release and a check. And that's when the client came to us. We of course notified them that the offer was rejected and that they would not be accepting that offer. And they did push back saying, no, your client has already released uh, our client and, you know, we'll send the $1,000 check again. Uh, but, yeah, we, we were able to basically push them on that, and we ended up settling that case for the true value of what it was. Right. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, those those scheduled releases are, are – they're, sometimes they're called scheduled if it's a time limit, and sometimes it's called conditional. Um, and, one, but, and one more thing before yeah. I forget. So, so just, you know, just so I guess pe- – people are aware who, who are, um, who check this out. So you mentioned that sometimes generally speaking, if you're, if you're not in this field and you wouldn't really have a reason to know how much say an emergency room visit would cost, maybe some CT scans, maybe an MRI or even just x-rays. I mean, how much can, can just diagnostic tests in one emergency room visit be, at, you know, any of the MUSC oh. facilities, I mean, so, estimated. Uh, yeah, an MUSC facility specifically to, comes to mind is in Lancaster. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I work in Lancaster and, and see that every day. I mean, we routinely see emergency room bills that are anywhere between twenty five and $50,000. Yeah. Um, and I would say the vast majority of these conditional releases I've seen have a cap of $10,000 in medical bills. So someone gets a call two days after the accident, and they are offered $1,000 cash, and they will pay all their medical bills up to $10,000 in exchange for a release. And the problem is, is once that insurance company, you know, gets that bill, they may not pay that bill, you know, and that person is now left not knowing what to do. They may have a bill. They may even be sued by the hospital to collect that debt. And so that's why it's so dangerous. You know, you should never, ever sign anything or cash any check without at least talking to a lawyer. That's kind of the solution to all these tactics is to at least talk to a lawyer. Right. Um, and know. this sounds self-serving. It's really not. I mean, no. But, I, I, I know that you do this literally on a daily basis. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we get calls and in-person meetings all the time where, like, I mean, beyond free consultations, we, we literally just look at something and say, here, do X, Y, or Z. Um, you know, probably as much as cases we we actually sign up. So, that I mean, that is something that we yeah. like doing, just giving people that advice and without, you know, just because, I mean, we don't want people, we, we, we don't want to see people getting, getting no, this is you know, information. This, we want this information out there. Right, you know? right. Um, because we see all too many people who do come in and they've already signed that release. Right. And we can try to walk it back. But, you know, there's sometimes if, if the language is vague enough and things like that, that's how we kind of do it. But and there obviously is duress there, too, because, right. you know, this person's obviously under stress. But the, the vagueness is what really gets it, I think, a lot of times is is the fact that they don't know what their medical bills are. How could they? contemplate $10,000 in medical bills as, as, you know, part of the contract. There's no meeting of the minds. You know, we're not talking about contract law. Right. You know, and if you're not familiar with the way that medical bills work and, and, and you know, how, how inflated they can be, then, you know, 10,000 seems like a lot. I mean, that's nothing like as far as medical bills are concerned. Yeah. Um, And I'll say the other thing people don't understand is, you know, this, even if, you know, someone's out there thinking, Oh, well, what if I, you know, what if the insurance company offered $100,000 on a conditional release? You know, 
problem is <clears throat> if you have health insurance, you've seen it. I've seen it. Most people probably have seen it on their EOBs from their insurance company. <clears throat> Those insurance companies are paying pennies on the dollar. So what that insurance company is doing, even if they say we'll pay $100,000 and then give you $5,000 now, well, if they get that $50,000 ER bill and your Medicaid paid $500 of it, well, that insurance company is going to basically get off by paying that $500 reimbursement to Medicaid, and the rest of that money is going to stay in their pocket. And, 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 and why, why, so, you know, why is that important in South Carolina? Is the, That's very important in South Carolina. Why don't they want, why don't yes. they want attorneys to, to have that information? Because in South Carolina, <clears throat> well, they don't claim us to know that. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, in South Carolina, your damages are what you're charged. Right. So it doesn't matter, you know, collateral source rule. Yeah. You know, it does not matter what your insurance pays. Right. Be a dollar out of that fifty thousand dollars. Your damages are fifty thousand dollars. Right. So on a hundred thousand dollar totality of medical bills owed, Blue Cross Blue Shield <laughs> pays for seventy percent of it. You know, twenty five percent of it's written off. So you really only owe five thousand dollars. A jury, they're going to award. Ten a hundred thousand dollars if they yeah. if they consider all of those special damages it, it's inadmissible yeah so exactly so going back to what you were saying earlier I mean that's you know I I think that kind of is a pretty good example of why sometimes insurance companies are like yeah. you know because don't that's talk one of the reasons don't talk to an attorney because I mean why, why why would you necessarily know that that's the, about yeah. the collateral source rule and another thing that they do another tactic that people should watch out for is they will say because I've had clients tell me this several times, you know, what they will say is you don't need to talk to an attorney because it's going to drag your case on for years. Right. Um, and also, let me just say this, just to go back to what I said, that hundred thousand, that was purely an example for simplicity oh, yeah. purposes. Yes. Don't want any adjusters listening to think that that's, I mean, if you yeah. get a hundred thousand dollar medical bill, you are, you are in the hole as far as that. But anyways, just, yeah. an, just an example. I know what you mean. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that's another reason that they do it is they, they try to scare people off from talking to an attorney. Um, I think that they, they say, I think I've had clients tell me that the insurance adjuster will say, there's nowhere you're, you're not going to get more than this after you pay an attorney, which is usually a patently false. Um, and then also, yeah, it, it does take more time. Obviously we're not gonna be able to schedule or we're not gonna be able to settle a case within 48 hours of a wreck, but yeah. it's still just a tactic. You know, mm -hmm. these are just the things they're trying to long story short is both of these tactics are to try to resolve your case as cheaply as possible and before you can talk to an attorney. Right. Because most people know, most insurance adjusters know, you know, they know that someone may not go to an attorney the next day or the day after a wreck or whatever. Um, but what they do know is they want to get in front of them before they get in front of us. Right. Um, and like you said, we're not trying to say everyone has to come to us, but just talk to someone. Oh, I yeah. Know, I mean, I don't think I've ever seen a personal injury practice that charges for a consultation. No. If you, if you find one, then just go to another one. Yeah, yeah, um, But just use that free consultation. At the very least, talk about it. You know, tell the attorney what you had happened, what happened in the wreck, you know, what kind of treatment you at least remember maybe getting at the ER. Like, again, you may not know your bill, but if you tell us that you had two CT scans, three X-rays, you know, we can tell, you know. And then if we're looking at a piece of paper where they're going to offer you $1,000 and you have three broken ribs, yeah, you know, we we can at least tell you whether or not you're going to have a decent case or not, and right. and at the very least, even if you decide not to hire that attorney, that attorney should, if they're worth their salt, is going to at least give you some knowledge so you know your rights, right? You know, and that way you're not. And the, what people don't understand is when you sign that release, you're waiving your legal rights away. 
Right. You know, you were releasing that driver forever. Again, they can be voided, possibly. But if everything is done correctly and all the, the boxes are checked, you have now precluded your right. It doesn't matter if in six months you need ma- massive surgery. Right. So that Permit. that's the big thing first is just that those first initial contacts with the insurance company are just chock full of different pitfalls and tactics that they're using to try to get your case done as cheaply as possible before you talk to an attorney. Yeah. So, so next, next pitfall that um, I know that earlier you, you mentioned, we, we were actually talking about it uh, coincidentally and, and we've, I mean, we've probably talked about this a million times, but, uh, but tell, tell me a little bit about the, you know, treatment gap conundrum just going to that um, for so the gap in treatment thing comes up a lot, um, and I think first of all, I think adjusters live in this fantasy land. Um, no, no gray area, black and white. Very much just if you went more than five days without going to the doctor, then you must not be hurt. Um, and there is some, you know, you know that there, you know that there is some legal basis for a gap in treatment because they know that. Their attorney, if it ever got to that, their defense attorney is going to be able to put doubt in a jury's mind of what if something else happened. If you got in a wreck and you waited three weeks and then you went to the doctor and said you had a back pain, you had back pain. Well, did you sleep funny? I mean, we're getting to the age now. You sleep funny and you have yeah, back pain. Right. Or did you do something at home? Did you lift something? Was it a work injury? Any any time that there's something right there, there may be enough doubt, you know, to get that jury to say, okay, maybe there's some sort of cause that breaks the chain of causation yeah. here. Right. So, or, or, or just the argument of like, were they really hurting yeah, if it took? Exactly. Um, but I think that's the basis for it, but mm-hmm. they abuse it. Yeah. Um, and like you just said, you know, a few days, are they really hurt? That's kind of what we've heard. You know, I've heard adjusters even tell me, oh, well, your client waited, you know, five days between going to the emergency room and going to the, you know, their primary care doctor for a follow-up. Well, you and I in the real world and everyone in the real world also knows that it takes time to get into an appointment. Right. And, and one thing that I've seen, yep. you know, I've seen three times now um, specifically is a, a situation where a client doesn't, you know, one, where there was a family doctor, we call it primary care physician, two, where there wasn't, where in the medical records themselves, uh, I think one was MUSC Chester and maybe the other MUSC Lancaster. And then I think um, maybe Piedmont anyways, in in the records themselves, which, you know, something being in the records is, is important, but also it was obviously said by medical personnel, you know, clear letters. Like if this doesn't get better in, you know, 24 hours, if it gets worse, Mm -hmm. come back to the emergency room, Mm -hmm. then the adjusters uh, or defense attorneys, you know, um, dealing with litigation say we're not going to consider the the emergency treatment for day two or day three because it wasn't necessary why didn't you know i've heard i've heard people say why didn't you go to urgent care why didn't you do x y or z well if you are hurting first of all you're following medical advice secondly if you call your primary care physician hey when can i come see you uh what what about you know insert date three weeks from now on a tuesday where they can just refer you somewhere else you know what if you actually are hurting, 
you know, yeah. y- you want to go somewhere. And if you wait that, that amount of three weeks, like this is part of the, you know, the, the conundrum, then they're saying, eh, how much were you actually hurting? So it's like, it, it really is like a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation, right? It is. Like in a lot of cases. You know, we talk about that all the time. It's like, okay, did you get too much treatment or not enough treatment? Right. And there's no gray area. I mean, there's no middle line. Yeah. It's either always too much or not enough. And and it, and it, when when insurance companies or or you know defense attorneys representing insurance companies when they when they say you got too much treatment, what does that look like? What 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 are they really meaning as far as the effect of that when they're saying there was too much treatment? Well, usually that's kind of coupled with we didn't think that you were injured this bad. So they're not going to cover like yeah. the, the excess of, of that magic a lot number. Of, you know, a lot of times we see it with either physical therapy or chiropractic treatment. Um, maybe specific things that were happened in those treatments are not by, you know, the book of what they say should happen. Meaning like if you go to physical therapy and they do this, 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 and this, well, maybe they should have only done this, this, and that, you know what I mean? And then especially with chiropractic treatment, they'll do the same thing. They'll say, okay, well, this was too much treatment because, you know, the standards or whatever the industry standards that they're using to evaluate things say, oh, you should only go three days a week and you should only, you cannot have, say, you can't have massage therapy and chiropractic manipulation in the same visit. Right. You know, so a lot of times those are just, you know, arbitrary tactics yeah. you know, that they're saying. But then also, you know, like I said, they may say, like you said, they go to the ER, someone does not have health insurance. Okay, so that pretty much, if they don't have health insurance and a means to pay, that's going to preclude them to go to pretty much any private doctor. Right. Um, so even some urgent cares. I mean, we have private urgent cares that you don't have insurance, then it's going to be $200. Or yeah. Whatever. I mean, copay a hundred minimum. Yeah, like, yeah. And so, you know, a lot of times the only avenue someone has is an emergency room. It's the only place they're going to get to go and not be turned away. And someone to someone tell them like, you're, yeah, you're okay. Or like, you're not, I mean, yeah. it, it, there's a, concern, a legitimate concern of like, am I, you know, I mean, everyone hears stories about what happens when people decide not to go to the hospital and it's, you know, devastating. So, I mean, everyone's heard those stories. Exactly. Especially with head injuries. Yeah. You know, we see where they may not catch it the first time, um, but then a couple of days, you know, the person may be, the, you know, the client or, or injured party may be experiencing, you know, more fogginess. Maybe they had a fainting episode, you know, something like that. And they're like, okay, this head injury is worse than I thought. And like you said, a lot of times their discharge paperwork, if they don't have a primary care physician, will say return to the ER. So that's a big thing. But, you know, what I want people to hear too is the fact that if you're dealing with this on your own, you don't necessarily have to trust that insurance adjuster to say, oh, well, we're not going to cover the second time you went to the emergency room. Right. Because, again, they can say whatever they want to say. You know, they're not attorneys. You don't have to trust them. In fact, you should not trust them at all. Yeah. And so that's the thing we like to talk about is the fact that don't let them say the gap in treatment and stuff to, you know, defeat your case. You know, don't let them use those tactics against you. That's kind of what I want people to know about. Right. Because, like you said, everybody's probably going to deal with this at some point, you know, um, and many of our clients deal with this exact kind of thing, whether they go back to an ER or, you know, it takes three weeks to get into their primary care physician. Um, you know, with COVID, we had it, you know, I had several cases from 2020 and 2021 where it may take three to six months to even get an appointment. Yeah. You know, a specialist, maybe you're referred to a specialist and that specialist says, okay, well, we can get you in, but it'll be in September, you know, and what are you supposed to do then? You know, and that insurance adjuster is probably immediately going to tell that claimant, we're not paying for that. Yeah. And, and, and again, that's, I mean, that's assuming that they can even get that referral. And like you said, I mean, they're, mm-hmm. it's without 
without a means to pay and, and health insurance. I mean, like, yeah. you know, they're going to use any gap to basically say that it's not covered. And there's plenty of legitimate reasons. for Yeah. That if gap. it even yeah occurs in the first place. Exactly. Yeah. But, um, so that's kind of like, that's probably one of the bigger ones with medical, like how they kind of use your actual medical treatment against you. Right. You know, um, Oh, that, that kind of reminds me. I also want to ask about this. Um, just not sure how we're doing on time here, but real quick. So, so, while we're talking about medical treatment, like going go into uh, what we were talking about, we've also talked about this a million times and um, about the pre-existing medical condition. Yes. Um, in fact, yeah, you're right. We've talked about it. We've actually even had a podcast about it. Yeah. Yeah. But um, pre-existing condition raises its head a lot as well. Um, partly because some of the pre-existing conditions generally any, almost anybody has. I mean, Degenerative disc disease. People don't realize. I mean, it's, gosh. it's, if you're over, isn't 25, like 40%? 30, yeah. If you're over, over 30 55. years old, yeah. I mean, I think over 30 years old, you're probably going to have some level of degeneration in the discs, discs in your back. Yeah. And, and cli- clients are always shocked when I point it out to them. You know, they're, they're really going after the degenerative disc disease. They say, wait, I, what? I've, cause it's, they're like slip disc, herniated disc. I'm like, no, it's just, you know, spinal narrowing, basically. Yeah. It's really common. But, but I mean, there's been, more often than not, people are pretty surprised, and it's and it's been in their medical records mm-hmm. from years ago. Like mm-hmm. it, they just, it, it. Point being, it's very common. Yeah, and what the insurance companies will try to do, that adjuster is going to try to say, okay, well, you have degenerative disc disease, Charlie, uh, and you were in this, you know, relatively minor accident, and so we don't believe that your back pain now is from that. Um, and what what they try to do is they're from the accident. From the accident, they're going yeah, yeah. to try to say, you know, well, your back pain's from that. It's not from this accident, you know. Fortunately, what happens is, or what, what should happen is, is that at fault driver and then the insurance company that they are insured by are liable for changes. Mm-hmm. So that's what we talk about in that podcast. But I can kind of tell you a little bit. So, like, if you're if you have a baseline of your injury or your condition before the accident, and then it's elevated, it's either temporarily aggravated, like a flare up, or it is changed, worsened permanently. Um, they're on the hook for those changes. Um, and then another one we see too is that an insurance company will say, oh, well, what happened to you, Charlie, is – I'm just using your name. Yeah. What happened to you is, was, is unforeseeable or unreasonable. And the average person would not have gotten hurt in that way. Um, but there's tons of reasons that someone may be more highly susceptible mm-hmm. to, like, like I said, a degenerative disc disease. Right. If someone has a nearly herniated disc and – they didn't know about it or pinched nerve or something. They didn't really know about it or something so close. And then they get in a wreck. Well, it may be a minor wreck, but it may have pushed. It may be the final straw. Right. So the straw see, that broke the camel's yeah, back. It may literally be the straw that breaks that disc's back. Yeah. And you may need to have a disc arthroscopy or an artificial disc. Or decompression in. surgery, you decompression know, where, where or, there was already stenosis yeah. existing and it just, this made it. So you, f- where the pain just became unbearable exactly. with the pinched nerve. And so a lot of times they may say, well, you were hit at 20 miles an hour in a parking lot. There's no way. But right. that person was yeah. highly susceptible. And that's what we talk about in that podcast is the eggshell plaintiff doctrine. Mm-hmm. The fact that, you know, it doesn't matter how unforeseeable it is. You know, if it's something just, if you have some wild condition that you don't even know about, right. you may have some genetic disorder that you literally have never known your entire life, but it makes your bones more brittle. Yeah. You know, you never knew. And you're walking around like Mr. Glass. Yeah, I was, about, I was, I was know, just thinking Mr. Yeah, Glass. You know, and, and you, you something happens to you and you suffer some catastrophic injury. You never know. Yeah. It didn't matter how unforeseeable it is or how rare it is. You know, that's, but that's usually flipped against, you know, 
by insurance adjusters, a lot of times, and I think Joel and I talked about that in a podcast too, and I keep referring to that. Y'all can go watch it if you'd like. Um, but what happened was is a lot of times these insurance adjusters will kind of misconstrue the eggshell plaintiff. Even if we have a, a sophisticated claimant who has heard of it or knows about it, that adjuster is usually going to try to use it. And I, th- I don't know if they misinterpret it on purpose or what, but they'll often try to say that that means that your higher susceptible condition is basically your own fault. Like just because you're an eggshell does not mean that, you know, yeah. we're on the hook. So, you that know, the, 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 the pre-existing injuries thing is a huge problem. Um, you know, I think the biggest problem is it may scare people off from going and getting the treatment they need mm-hmm. because of those initial convert, consultation, you know, or if they've sent their, their medical records to an adjuster and they're saying, I'm still having problems. And that adjuster saying, well, you have back problems before they may scare, they may be scared off. Right. Cause they don't want to get more treatment if they're concerned that it's not going to be covered. Exactly. They, they're thinking it's going to be sunk costs. They're going to be even more in the hole than they already are. Exactly. And you know, it's, it's critical in those types of cases to get an attorney just because, like I was telling you too, it may be a temporary worsening, it may be a permanent worsening. So that's a huge difference. You know, if someone has an injury that they had before and it's flared up temporarily, maybe they have some treatment, physical therapy, it's back to normal or back to what it was before, maybe not back to normal. Right. But the problem is, is when people have an injury and it's accelerated so fast, especially any kind of joint injury, um, I've had clients before who've had, say, knee problems before. They maybe already had arthritis in their knee, and they suffer a slip-and-fall accident. I know we're talking about car insurance right. here, but very similar. Mm-hmm. You know, a slip-and-fall accident on that knee, well, they may recover, but then their arthritis may be accelerated. And so that's a, that's a lifetime change. Mm-hmm. You know, so all of that stuff is very critical. And anytime you have an adjuster who's mentioning, you know, pre-existing conditions and pre-existing injuries, you definitely need to see a lawyer. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, moral of the story here is just, I mean, you know, like there's nothing to lose as far as getting a consultation. Um, Like you said, if, you know, plaintiffs' firms, personal injury firms, um, you know, they ought to give free consultations. We do all the time. And it's just worth it. I mean, you don't know you don't know what the motives are for insurance companies. Um, like you said, their business, the whole business being collect premiums, don't make payouts. You know, yeah. that's that's the name of the game. Yeah. Um, it's you know, it is what it is. So uh, you know, these are some pitfalls that I mean, like clockwork. Even even when an attorney is representing you, they still, I mean, all the way up to in front of a. A jury, you know, they're going to go for these arguments. So without an attorney, you know, they if if you don't know what the counter arguments are and you don't know how to combat these arguments, like it's pretty it's pretty harrowing and you're and it's overwhelming and you know you think that these are you know experts that have experience. They're not pulling this out of nowhere and they're kind of not. But you know, it's it needs to be combated whether yeah. it's whether it's through an attorney or with knowledge that an attorney gives you if you want to undertake it yourself right? yeah and when we were talking about this this morning before we started this you know what we were talking about wanting to get out there is just the information to watch out for you know right. because again i think a lot of people would trust an insurance company you know and they're going to trust that adjuster because it's a professional yeah, like, person are you, you in know, good hands? yeah yeah are you in good hands exactly they think you know they they maybe think of their own insurance company and and in, in instances that they've dealt with their own insurance company, yeah. you know, uh, but you're an adversary to that insurance company. Right. You know, you're a dollar sign. I have a friend, 
And his quote, I love it, is you, you would never trust someone who owes you money to determine how much money they owe you. <laughs> and that's basically what you're doing. I heard that. You know, if I had loaned you $100 and then I said, hey, Charlie, how much do I owe you? And you're like, $70? Yeah. And I was like, sure. You know, no, that's not how yeah, it works. So, funny. you know, that's, that's the kind of the thing to look about it. But, you know, every single thing that you do and it, it the other thing I wanted to talk about is that they're going to use things against you. Okay. One of the other things that people may get nearly immediately is going to be a medical release. Okay. Which we have to deal on medical release from our clients as well so that we can get their medical records and their billings. But if you do that through an insurance company, it's usually broad and most of the time it has no definition at all. So lifetime, if they wanted to, if they wanted to spend the money, they could get your entire medical history. Um, so one thing I always tell people is, you know, please, before you sign that, talk to a mm, lawyer, yeah. because again, they may pull five years of medical records. So one, it's an invasion of privacy. It's information they do not need. It's not relevant. And they're going to nitpick every single thing they find. They may find a preexisting condition. And if we have a client that has a preexisting condition, we may share those prior medicals again, but it, we're doing it with our client's interest at heart. And we're only doing what we need to do. And we, you know, and we qualify it. We say exactly. He, you know, exactly. Um, they, they may look back through a medical record and they may dig into, oh, five years ago you came in and you, you had a positive statement that you were using illegal drugs. I mean, or they just say nothing, you know? right? We've gone through medical records, yeah. blanket statement, and a lot of these issues were already here. And there's some other stuff that's that's what I'm saying. They may know. use they may try to pull things out. They may they may find things that oh you well, you went to the back, you went to the ER and. We've seen it all the times where medical records, the, the dictation from the doctor's wrong. I mean, I literally had a client that was beat up at a bar, and his medical records from the doctor said that he was driving on a four-wheeler accident and wrecked the four-wheeler. I don't know if the doctor just messed up his file with someone. Yeah. So you could, you could sit there and tell the insurance company when they ask you, because they're always going to ask you if you had prior accidents. And you say, no, I've never had an accident. I've never, you know, I've never had an injury claim against somebody. And they go back and they say, oh, well, two years ago in your ER visit here, it says that you were in a motor vehicle accident. That could literally be a typo. So beyond the privacy ramifications, there's just anything in there they may try to pull out that then you're going to have to combat to try to prove. You're gonna, it's going to create a presumption that you've lied. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So all of that kind of stuff. And, and then the other thing, too, is, is just your, your conversations with the adjusters. Almost every telephone call with an insurance adjuster is recorded. Um, it usually says it at the beginning of the call. It says this call may be recorded, you know, for quality assurance. Which everyone's so used to hearing, you just yes. go, oh, whatever. You're like, whatever. But it's... Um, sometimes if they're doing like a recorded statement, they will say, this is going to be recorded. Do we have your permission? But that's just because they may try to use that against you in the future. Now, just regular conversations with the adjuster may be recorded that they then will go back and listen to. And again, they're going to use anything you say. It's almost like the Miranda rights, you know, anything you say can and will be used against you. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's not in the court of law, but they may use it against you in the handling of your claim. Yeah. Again, if you, you know, if they ask you, you know, you were in this accident, hey, why didn't you go to the emergency room by ambulance? And you may say, well, I wasn't hurt. And what they meant to say was, well, at the time I had too many other things going on. You know, I was hurting, but I didn't want to go to the ER because I had my two young children in the car I had to handle. I didn't want to pull them along with me to the emergency room or I had to handle this or I had to handle that or, or any slew of reasons. They may have said, oh, I'm hurting, but I don't really feel that bad right now. You know, they're thinking in their head, I don't want to have to pay for this emergency room visit 
or I don't want to pay for this ambulance visit. So there's all kinds of reasons that may have, but in that conversation, they may have just said, no, I didn't go to the emergency room by ambulance. And so that may be construed to say, well, you weren't hurt. Why'd you go three days later? You know, yeah, anything I mean, like I mean, that can be twisted. Just, just selective, fun. selective, um, I guess, verbiage or yeah. selective quote unquote testimony, mm-hmm. um, without, yeah, they might pull it out without context or, um, yeah, absolutely. So that's kind of, you know, one of the big things. And so again, that's going to be starting from the first conversation, you know, and that's why we tell people, if you get a call, if you're in an accident and you get a call and you're even contemplating, you know, seeing a, do- a lawyer and you should just wait. Yeah. I mean, you're not, you're not going to lose the right to, you, you know, you can, in South Carolina, you have three years. Three years, yeah, three years. Um, so you know, and if you're and worried about your car, I'll tell people too. You know, we've talked about this on podcasts before that we actually recommend people if they have collision coverage to run their the actual repair of their vehicle through their own insurance coverage, and that's a whole different you know story we could talk about. But if you're worried about getting back in your vehicle, then call your own insurance company. Talk to your own insurance company. I mean, that's not ideal either, but at the very least, talk to them just about the you know physical damage to your vehicle and getting it repaired. And then let them go back and get that money back from the at-fault driver's carrier. Yeah. But, you know, limiting the contact is just critical because everything you say, they're going to use it against you. They're probably going to try to get a recorded statement at the beginning. Again, some small bit that you don't remember correctly or, or whatever, especially any kind of contested case like, a, a you know, a red light, green light, mm-hmm. you know, accident or a turning lane, median lane accident. You know, those things are so nuanced. You need to make sure that you talk to an attorney and we can review the police report. We can review scene photos and all that and kind of, you know, make sure we understand what's going on yeah. and advise you properly. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other thing, too, is in that first phone call, you're probably going to get offered some money. <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and sometimes they'll even mail a check, and you don't even know what it's for. We've had people come in here, and they're like, well, the insurance company mailed me a check. I didn't know what it was for. I cashed it. Yeah, and then it, that's and it, you know, and then then they over. have a much much harder battle to get that release voided. Right, and and, and you know, and just uh, I'm I'm kind of restating what you said, but uh, I I think it's another reason why it's so important to call an attorney before making you know cashing a check, signing documents, giving a statement mm-hmm. is you know sometimes like what happened with you with the with the verbal statement. Um, it's, it can be invalidated based off, you know, just material terms being missing, uh, just, you know, contract principles in general, but, you know, or it might not be, you know, it might, you really might be releasing your claims forever and into eternity. Exactly. Um, so it's, you know, it's, I mean, it's just, there's, there's nothing to lose from, from calling, um, from calling an attorney on the front end. Um, and you know, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong here, but Sometimes you, when you call an attorney, they say, you know, that first offer, it, it's not phenomenal, but, you know, it's not terrible. So at least having that piece of knowledge, um, if you just were, wanted to say, you know what, I'll just, I, I don't want to, anyways, I mean, I mean, just to kind of beat the dead horse of calling an attorney, I mean. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I don't know how other attorneys work, but like you said, we're not going to have any pressure. You know, you want right. to come in and discuss your case. We can discuss any con- you know, anything that you've gotten in correspondence from the insurance company, any conversations you've had, just so you know your rights, just so you know some of this stuff. And if this helps anybody right now, that's fantastic too. Because the enemy here is the insurance company. Yeah. You know, like yeah. we said, they're not in the business of paying you what you're owed. 
And so just keeping an eye out for some of these things and remembering that they're not on your side. You know, yeah. to use another slogan. Wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're they're not necessarily on your side. And so just keep an eye out and remember that everything you're giving them is just going to be used to defeat your case. Yeah. You know, and, and just to keep those pitfalls, you know, in mind and watch out. Yeah. And if you ever have a question to, you know, to call us or and and schedule an appointment or talk to us. Call on the Derek phone. Harper specifically. Yes. yes, you can call me specifically. I'm gonna give him your cell. <laughs> Is that cool if I if put that out there? If you're in the Lancaster area for sure. Um but you know we have offices all over the state, but you know we practice all over the state, even in places we don't have offices. But you know, whether it's a telephone call, you know, an email or, or an in person visit, just you know, talk to somebody. Yeah. You know, give us a call and just, just double check before, you know, you, you do something that, you know, could preclude your rights going on, you know, for some amenable amount of money. Right. Yeah, Yeah, man. Well, bada bing, bada boom. I mean, I think that that wraps it up. Well, I appreciate it, Charlie. Thanks, man. All right. I had a good time.